Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. Throughout the Nicomachean Ethics, and also in a number of his other, what we can call ethical political works, so we're talking about the Eudamian Ethics, the Rhetoric, the Politics, the Poetics, and several other works, Aristotle will use this Greek term, which is a little bit difficult to translate, prohiresis. And it's coming from the prefix pro, which means in place of or in front of, and hyre, which means to grab or to seize, right? So prohiresis means almost literally taking one thing in front of or instead of another, as Aristotle will discuss at several different points. And why is this term so important? Well, because virtue and vice, what we're praised for or blamed for, is in large part a matter of choice. It's not just a matter of the actions or emotions themselves. A person is evaluated on the basis of the choices and, we might say, commitments that they make. Now, one of the things that I want to signal as we look at the Nicomachean Ethics Book 3 treatment, which is not the only discussion of proiresis that Aristotle has, but a very important one, is that although Aristotle is not distinguishing this, he's just talking about these in a way that shows you that these are two different conceptions, choice means not only individual choices made in specific situations, like choosing to shoot a video rather than to lay around and do nothing all day, right? That's an individual choice. It also means patterns, larger scale, running through time patterns of choice that form us into the kinds of people that they are. Am I the kind of person who typically chooses to shoot the videos that I pledged I would do? Or am I the sort to say, ah, oh, that will happen another day. It'll take care of itself. Let me take a nap. Right? There's an individual choice being made there in the situation, but it can be part of a larger pattern of choice. Aristotle has both of these meanings in mind when he's talking about the term. Sometimes in some passages it's clearly about individual choice, and in some other passages it's clearly about patterns of choice. But the two of them form each other, so it's important to keep that in mind. Now he says, how can we define it or characterize it? So one of the things that he says is, if we understand what the class of the voluntary is, things that people are responsible for, we can say choice is something voluntary. It falls within that scope. But it's narrower because not everything that's voluntary is chosen. There is more to the act of choice than simply being the initiator of the action. So you can say not everything that's voluntary is chosen, but everything that is chosen is indeed voluntary. The chosen or choice is a subclass of what is voluntary. And that covers a lot for Aristotle. Now, he spends quite a bit of time telling us what it is not. And you might say, well, that's not particularly helpful to me. I want to know what it is, not what it is not. But in doing so, he's sort of chipping away at some misconceptions that we might have. So we should take a look at some of these discussions. He says choice is a type of desire. Orexis. Or if we want to use an even broader term, because desire makes us always think of like heading towards something, 
The way Aristotle uses araxis, it includes all affectivity. So it includes all of our feelings, all of our emotions, our desires, our aversions, all of that falls within the scope of araxis or desire. Aristotle is going to say that it's not this or this or this. Why does he talk about those? Well, in other places, he will break desire down into three main categories, uh, leaving out, of course, priorasis and, and some of the other things. Appetite or epithumia. What we translate here is anger, although it's a bit broader than the emotion of anger, thumos, this spirited part of ourselves, and wish or rational desire, bulesis. And he'll tell us more about those at different points, and we, we will certainly talk about those in other videos. Now, why is proiracis not any of these things? Well, let's take a look at what he actually says. He says, irrational animals don't exercise choice, but they do feel desire. They feel appetite. So do children, too, by the way. And children also feel anger in that sense, that rivalrous bunch of emotions. So it can't be those, because if it was those, then children and animals wouldn't have it. So he goes on and he says, also a man of defective self-restraint, as we'll look here, acts from desire but not from choice. Now the contrary is self-restrained man acts from choice and not from desire, a point that we'll hit on again a little bit later. And then he says, desire can run counter to choice. Desire meaning appetite, but not appetite to appetite. And uh, appetite has regard to an object as pleasant or painful, whereas choice doesn't necessarily do that. Choice is about a different range of values which include things like the noble and the base, the useful and the harmful, the just and the unjust. These moral categories or values that Aristotle thinks help to fill out the scope of the good. So it's not appetite. Why then is it not anger, he says, or passion or spiritedness? He says, well, these acts, and this is not much of an explanation, these acts seem something very different from acts done out of deliberate choice. Why? Because anger kind of gets away from us, right? There is actually a reasoning process involved in anger, as Aristotle understands it. He talks about this in Book 7. Anger is like a hasty servant who, perceiving that some sort of insult or injury has been given, immediately rushes off without listening to the directions and aims at revenge or retaliation. So that, Aristotle thinks, in itself is not really that related to choice. We have to be a little bit careful with that because proiracis will play into the virtues and vice, vices associated with anger, as it will with that of concern with appetite, namely temperance. But it's not the same thing as that desire. What about rational desire or wish? So Aristotle talks about this at a little bit greater length. He says they seem closely connected, but here's some differences. Choice, or proiracis, cannot have as its object impossibilities. We don't choose things that we know, in fact, to be impossibilities, but we do yearn for things that are, for us, impossibilities. He says, for example, if a man were to say that he chose something impossible, he'd be thought to be a fool. We can wish for things that are impossible, for example, immortality. You can't choose, now this is in Aristotle's context, I understand that some religious people might say, yes, we can choose immortality or eternal death or something like that. Aristotle's not working in that context. 
For the ancient Greeks, uh, a human being it can't choose divine immortality. But we can certainly yearn for that or wish for it. He says, also we may wish for what cannot be secured by our own agency. For example, a particular actor or athlete may win, right? We have all sorts of wishes about that. For example, I think about sports teams. People get all sorts of emotional investment in, in my team. I, I hope they win. I hope they go to the championship. We don't have any control over that. That's not a matter of our choices that put them there. It's the choices of those athletes out there, and I suppose the coaches and other people as well, including the teams that they're playing against that decides that. It's not our choice. So choice is not a matter of wish. And he says, this is even more important, we wish for ends rather than for means, but choose the means to our end. For example, we wish to be healthy, but we choose things that will make us healthy. So we have wishes in play, and then we use choice to get ourselves there, or, or perhaps if we choose badly, to not get ourselves there because we choose something else instead. What kind of desire is it then? Well, Aristotle will call it at several points in this book and in other books as well. For example, in book six, he will call choice deliberative desire. Why is it deliberative desire? Because it engages and involves some deliberation about the means to desired ends. The ends are given to us by wish or by other things, you know, moral principles, but we choose the means that will get us to those ends. But we first think about or reason about, or at least go through some sort of implicit process of practical reasoning, what would actually get us there? Given that we have these desires for these ends, what will allow us to implement those desires? Choice isn't just a matter of deliberation because it leads to action. It goes beyond merely deliberating, and it's a desire that is, you know, supposed to be effective in leading to some sort of action. We may not get what it is that we want if there's outside factors that intervene, but all other things being equal, it, we should. Now, I want to go back to this point that came up in terms of not being appetite. Aristotle will say that the self-controlled person follows choice. What do they follow choice against? against their other kinds of desire. For example, they can be self-controlled in the in a full sense in relation to appetite, desire for physical pleasures. They might also be self-controlled with respect to their anger response. They follow their choice against what it is that their desire is telling them to. So we really have two kinds of orexis or affectivity warring against each other. One of them is rational and the other one is irrational and the self-controlled person follows the rational. Not so with the person who is uncontrolled, a crack. In that case, they follow desire against what they've chosen to be the right thing. So they make a choice, but then they don't follow through on that choice. This is why prioracis might well be translated not just as choice, but as commitment. When a person goes against their commitments, what they know they ought to be doing, they are, as we say, uncontrolled or lacking self-controlled or acratic. Now, another important point that I didn't put up here, another thing that choice is not, Aristotle says, is opinion. Opinion is something that we judge or we think about things. Choice is something that has to do with affectivity and doing. So they may run parallel with each other. And we may indeed have opinions that lead us to desires or our opinions may be reflective of our desires. You know, when we desire something, we have the opinion that it's a good thing for us and we should pursue it. But choice and opinion are not exactly the same thing, although they may run in parallel. 
This leads us to the last point, which is that choice, as Aristotle says, determines our character, whether it is good or bad. Whether we are good people or bad people ultimately depends on the choices that we make. And so if we don't engage, for example, in any sort of deliberation, we're probably going to make really bad choices. There's a lot of things that, you know, get pulled into the fabric of pro-racist. And this is part of why pro-racist can't just be a matter of individual choices made situation to situation, but also the larger patterns of choices that are put together by lots of individual choices. It's got a bit of an ambiguity in the term. It has both of these senses as at the same time in this passage in Nicomachean Ethics Book 3. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.